0: This is the full interview from a segment from the Overdrive radio and podcast program. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au. Most car companies now have a new measure of how good their vehicle is. It's not just the power of the engine or the speed or the acceleration. It's the amount of screens that they have in front of the driver and and to some degree the passenger as well. There's those on the dashboard, there's those in the centre console, the infotainment system, and the heads-up display. But is it a matter of not just how much information, but how good the information might be? To talk about that, we have on the line our good friend from Gay Carboys, Alan Zervis. G'day, Alan. G'day,
1: David. How's tricks?
0: Pretty good and so I really want to ask you the question is
1: it not a matter of size but what you do with it in terms of the screen? I've always said that David and not just the size but the noise if the car's got a bong at you it's got to tell you what it's bonging about.
0: That's the point isn't it it's the communication of it now you would raise a point too that you don't want it to be too alarming do you?
1: If you are alarmed you want to know what the alarm's about. So you don't want big flashing things that make you steer off the road in the night. But if you get an alarm, you you want to know what you have to do to remedy it. For all you know, it could be something wrong with the car.
0: Yes, if it goes buzz, 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 you are alert, but you're not aware. You don't know what to do about it. Now, you've been driving a new Polestar performance model, we'll come to that. But you had a problem
1: with a noise from it. What was that? Well, I thought it was another noise that was one of those unexplained things in cars, you know, a seatbelt rattle or a dashboard rattle or whatever. It was incredibly high-pitched and oscillated. Couldn't work out what it was. It took about an hour, and I finally, as a last resort, tried all the window switches And the passenger window must have been down a fraction of a a millimeter, just enough to allow a whistle on the window to vibrate. And uh, yeah, it was was extraordinary. I've never heard anything like it, but I didn't know what it was. And there was no warning and it didn't sound like it was coming from, you know, a natural something from the car. And I was afraid there was going to be something fall off.
0: It was hard to identify what it really meant. What did it sound like?
1: A very, very, very mad bird. (laughs) So high-pitched, it was a high-pitched chirp. That's what it sounded like.
0: I had the situation I think I may have mentioned in the past of driving a Peugeot convertible. And this is a little while ago. I hopped in the car, drove it, and it started beeping at me. I couldn't work out what was wrong. I got out and slammed all the boot and the doors shut and even the bonnet checked that was right. Eventually rang up Peugeot and they said, have you checked that the convertible, the roof, was fully back in position? Now, the kids have been playing with it, I guess. Not while it's on the road, of course, but while it was parked. And, of course, that was the problem. It hadn't clicked that final bit into uh, locked position Now, it's nice to have the warning, but when you didn't know what it was about, it was frustrating to say the least.
1: I had the same problem. And do you remember those old uh, IS Lexus convertibles, you know, probably 10, 12 years ago? Hmm. And I had the same problem with it. It kept saying roof action or something not complete. And I tried it both ways and it still wouldn't complete. So it turned out that I had to open the roof all the way up and then close it all the way down again. You couldn't just hit it a little bit.
0: That's the equivalent of IT, turn the machine off and on again, isn't it?
1: It it was almost like something had folded in a way that it shouldn't have and was preventing it from closing. And just trying to force it down further wasn't, uh, wasn't getting me anywhere. But either way, I was amused, and it took about an hour to sort it out. It didn't occur to me to open the roof right up.
0: Do we need to take an approach with the screen space that we now have available, similar to those message signs that we have on major roads, which give a descriptive message, perhaps not quite enough, but sometimes enough, and certainly gives you an indication of saying, accident ahead, And so we have the same idea about screens where they don't just flash a little symbol, which you've got to try and work out what that symbol means. But actually, with digital screens, start putting up a sentence that gives you an idea far more accurately, points you to the problem.
1: Well, I think that's a good point, but there are screens that already do that on startup. So they put up a big message saying that the driver must pay attention to the road and not the screen, or something along those lines, and they will not proceed unless you press OK. Now, if you keep getting the same same message and you just have to press OK to clear it, it becomes habit to just press it without reading it. Yeah. So I, I think like we've been in cars, for example, that warn you about cameras or that warn you about speeds or that warn you about school zones. Once might be sufficient, but if you drive around the city, you get it every few minutes. It becomes annoying. So there's a balance between the amount of information and at what stage does that information become an overload and you it annoys you so much you simply can't look at it anymore.
0: That's a classic of the truck driver who keeps getting beeped at it to the point of distraction and frustration so you turn it off. There's the same principle in trying to talk to children.
1: <laughs> and many adults, <laughs> one might argue.
0: The Polestar has a system that both links to and is uh, centred around the familiarity of Google. Does that help?
1: It does help, and I think it helps in a couple of ways. So when I get into a a Polestar, or indeed a Volvo, I sign into my Google account, and the operating system, the the interface between the driver and the, the car, is Google. It's a Google Auto OS so not Android Auto, it's a Google operating system. So for example, there's no radio as you recognize it. There's no, everything is apps. So if it's app-based like it is on your phone, so if you have an iPhone or a, you know some sort of Android phone, the, the way this works computes in your mind already and you just have to know that you, you you'll swipe a certain way and you get used to that after a couple of minutes or you just uh, go to the home screen and that's where all your apps are, including things like radio, Google, and your maps. And the maps, the navigation system, is Google Maps. Hmm. So it's, it's extraordinarily useful. And if you use the Google system that's inbuilt, it will navigate you, say, to a charger in this case and prepare the car for fast charging.
0: As you know it was an expression you used, and that becomes critical. Now... For example, people may not be familiar with Google. I wonder, given digital technology, whether we might not have options of the old-fashioned car that, as you know it, well, there's a button for radios or there's there's a, a screen equivalent of a button that you know, looks like a button that maybe there's an opportunity for you to not only personalize it, but perhaps have a number of standard approaches to looking at how you interface with the car.
1: Absolutely. Well, in fact, I mean, you raise a really good point. I watch a lot of those car shows on TV, you know, the do-up car shows, whether it's classic or, uh, you know, some some of them convert a classic car to an electric car or whatever. And in one of them, they've put in a driver's instrument cluster that is identical to the one that's there in look. But in fact, it's just a flat LCD screen, but it looks exactly like, and I think it was in an old Volvo or, you know, something like that, an old sports car perhaps but it looked exactly like what was there. So there was no reason why you couldn't press a button, for example, on the center console and say classic radio. And it brings up a thing that might have a picture of a, of a or a graphic of a radio, might even have a CD slot, you know, and buttons and a readout, you know, something to make you feel like you're in a, a 90s car. That might be a bit of fun. I mean, why not? It's a computer. It can display anything it likes. The instruments, for example, could display a traditional dashboard.
0: My colleague, our good friend Chris, who you know well from Melbourne, loves Jaguars, has a Jaguar with an old-fashioned radio in it. Well, it is old-fashioned on the outside, got those little press buttons and things on it, but behind the dash, it's all digital. You can have a taco that looks like the old-style thing but is has the modern electronics behind it. Now, a couple of the, uh, our reviewers have hopped into cars like the Honda, which is a bit old-fashioned, yet there was almost a familiarity there, which I think is important. But maybe the point, too, when you said... You get into a car and it brings up screens instead of the usual lawyer's stuff to avoid prosecution. It comes up with things like don't forget your car has cruise control, but not adaptive cruise control. Mm. It has automatic braking, but not below 40K or above whatever. Just a few little points, or, or even a button that says, press this if you want to understand the the key features or or whatever. We're coming better at putting a driver's manual on the screen as well, not to be looked at while you're driving, but to be able to be searched much quicker when you're perhaps sitting there getting used to the car before you take off.
1: Absolutely right. And I think the other thing is that we we can't underestimate the importance of voice control, so you don't have to touch a button of any description. But if you were going down the the road and you were getting a bing, the car's got a microphone. Why can't you say, hey, hmm. whatever the car is, what is this noise? Oh, okay. Great. And it would identify that with an appropriate warning symbol that's in the car, and it might say, because it's got a built-in owner's manual, the problem is you've got to stop to use it. Hmm. And it might say, according to the owner's manual, this is the low washer water warning button or something along those lines. Why can't it do that? It's a computer, it's got a microphone, it's got ears and it's got a mouth. Why can't it speak to you?
0: It might answer you it is your children in the back who are clearly spoilt and to get your act together. <laughs> now, Volkswagens have quite a lot of voice control, even to the point of put the windows down or change the temperature for the passenger, things like that.
1: Yes, uh, and the Volvo and Polestar equivalent, of course, does the same thing. But one of the discoveries I made was that the Polestar wouldn't wind the windows up and down, which is something that you might want to do, I guess, if you wanted all the windows up or or whatever, and your switches weren't working for whatever reason. Other than that, I can't think of a reason you'd want to do it. But you can just say, hey, Volkswagen, wind up all the windows, and it'll wind up all the windows. The Hyundai group, you can set it so that it will, for example, close. It uses a smart system to identify a tunnel coming up. It'll close outside air. You can also do that by voice. You can say you close the outside air or turn on recirculate. So there are things where one of your pet hates with these LCD systems is that you have no muscle memory, so you can't reach over for a button. Mm. There's no volume button or there's that. That's one of the things that annoys you when you get into a car. You can't find the damn mute button. That should all be able to be done by voice. And I think that's where, you know, that you could set to start up on very low volume regardless so that no matter who was in the car before you, that it starts on low volume.
0: To get into a car and it comes up at medium to what it feels like high volume, yes, if I can't hit a button quickly, I'm distressed to start with, and that's not helpful. The Pulsar, which, of course, is the Swedish electric vehicle company, I was driving one up the highway, and for some reason, I think there was a sudden downpour. The screen in front of me on the inside fogged up intensely to the point of great danger, and, you know, I hadn't thought about how the heck do I turn on the demister. Mm. Now, in the old card, you know, it's got a little symbol, square if it's the back demister, and it's sort of got a rounded top if it's the front demister. I didn't know. Now, my wife, of course, who's wonderfully practical, said, wind the windows down. But there was that period of sheer panic yeah, where I didn't know what to do you may remember our old uh, our old situations that we used to cope with that, but it was something that I stumbled over and therefore put myself in even more danger.
1: That's right. Well, what, there are two things you could have done. You could swipe up from the bottom, and that brings up the climate menu on the centre console, or you could just have said, hey, Google maximum windscreen defrost. Oh, oh hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry, sorry. Hey Google, stop. Sorry. Uh, d- hey Google, cancel. I don't know if you could hear that in the background, but it was reading me out. It's brought up this thing on the screen. That's very so so in the videos now I, I say, hey Siri, or hey Google, very, very softly, because the commenters would say my house is now going bananas. <laughs> and there's a there's a technical show that I watch where they frequently demonstrate home devices and home control so there's Alexa Google Siri you know all of those sorts of things and they might test one brand against another and if you have more than one brand then you've got all of the house erupting into you know you've got your phone doing something and the home control doing something and it's just incredibly frustrating
0: isn't that typically the problem then that the modern car home situation can do a lot of things for you automatically that you might not want them to do. That's right. The only redeeming feature with the Volkswagen system one time, I tried to say cancel and it said the nearest golf clubs are here and here. And I said, no, no, stop. And it, it went back to the same message. And then I uttered a profanity and it said, we are cancelling. Perhaps we need to recognise, we need facial recognition that when you sit in the car, and and they're talking about doing this, of assessing what sort of mood you're in. David, you're obviously stressed. Let me go through this quietly. Um, Let me make sure that the radio is down and all the windows are up and uh, uh, let me just cool the car for a moment. I need a psychologist to
1: develop the system. But, David, your car would always be doing that in that case. (laughs) It'd be saying, let me play some ambient music. We'll turn on the seat massage and we'll gently cool to a comfortable 20 degrees.
0: It'd be saying, yes. Things like, no, David, we're not going to leave. I can't (laughs) do that, David, (laughs) until you calm down.
1: So in the Polestar, you can't say, hey, Polestar, you have to say, hey, and that word. Cool. And it will then do the function. So, change the air conditioning or whatever. But it will also control the stuff I've got at home. So, if I said turn dining light on, that's what it'll do, or turn family room TV off, that's what it will do. But I may not want that to happen. I, you know, I mean, that's the, the instructions are fairly specific. But if I don't want to control something outside the car, I don't have any control over that. I might just be saying that to someone, for example. I might be saying that to a passenger that I can say, hey, and that name, turn off family room TV and you and I could be in the car and my partner could be at home and all of a sudden the TV turns off.
0: You know the joke that has a car that will do all that. If you want to get music, you might say, I'd like some music from Willie, please. And they say, do you mean Willie Nelson or Willie someone else? I'd like some... Classical music, do you mean Bach or do you mean Beethoven and that? Mm. And then someone pulls in front of you and you call them an an idiot or with an expletive in there, and they say, which politician do you want?
1: (laughs) And you'd be pretty much right on the money, I'd say. But look, I think in this case, David, cars have gotten very, very smart. And I, I disagree with some commentators saying that it's making drivers lazy. I don't think it is. But I do think that with the likes of lane warning and lane departure and smart cruise control and that kind of thing, that you're right. You should know what your car's capable of. Mm-hmm. And especially when it comes to voice control, you want to be very, very careful because in some of them, it can turn some of those things off as well. Yeah. So for example, you know, I wanted to turn the lane control on and I said that to one of the cars and it turned it on for me but I don't want to accidentally turn it off.
0: Yes. I spoke to Professor Mike Regan about this. Voice controls fantastic until it doesn't work well. Mm. And if it doesn't work well, you end up shouting at the steering wheel. It might not be where the microphone is, but, you, you know, you think it might well be. Now, the Polestar, it was the performance car. Is it true to its name?
1: By God, David, it is an absolute weapon i went up the old pacific highway to our usual spot with a superbike following me that could not keep up so there's very little body roll in corners 4.7 seconds to 100 300 kilowatts you know it's 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 absolutely wonderful but getting in and out of the back seat was diabolical
0: It's a four-door sedan.
1: It's a four-door executive hatch. So it does have a hatchback, but unlike the Volvo XC40 and C40 that it's on the same platform of, it's it's meant to be more of a slightly high-riding sedan. It is slightly higher than a normal sedan, but it's not as high as the C40 or the XC40, which just made getting in the back difficult. It It was quite difficult. But for one or two people. It was spectacular, absolutely spectacular.
0: And the interface, it actually does have some information, not just in the centre screen, but in front of the driver?
1: Yes, but no heads-up display, which I thought was quite interesting. So the driver's instruments are completely digital, and you can have, say, your uh, speed, the amount of charge you've got left, perhaps your range, your you, you, the distance. And then in the centre screen the set of console screen you can have different information so you might have something for your passenger you might have the music or or something there or you might have the map repeated you can um, Hmm. customize that as you want and you can do that really easily that's what i liked about it you could do it easily by just going back to the home screen at any time and then opening the app you want nothing was more than two pushes away
0: i'm developing a parameter it's the number of weeks that you need to become familiar with a car. One should not rush out and hop into a car and try and plan so that you're not in a rush, so that you don't get frustrated by the technology. And how long does it take you to get familiar with it? Some are pretty good, but I think you might agree you and I have driven the Citroen C5 that one starts going into three or four weeks at least.
1: Gone are the days when basically all cars were the same. They had a radio, a heater, steering, brakes, and that was it. You know, they were either automatic or manual. These days, they are so complex that unless you are really familiar with a modern car environment, we could not, for example, our grandfathers, were they still alive, to get into a new car now, they wouldn't probably be able to start it, certainly if they got into a Polestar or a Tesla, they would not be able to start it because there is no start button.
0: I once had a gentleman, again, I think I mentioned this story, who drove an EH Holden. I sat him in a new Range Rover Velar and said, what do you think? And he said, which university do I have to go to to learn how to drive this car?
1: I think that's something that you and I uh, and most reviewers really We can't grasp. We can't grasp what it's like seeing someone else get into that environment for the first time because we've seen it roll out gradually over a decade or two, and we went through. Remember the that crazy era of excess where money was great, and during that time, the more money you had, the more buttons you had. (laughs) And there was a button. I think I recorded forty or something for one of those Astra's.
0: We added up, and I think it was 43 buttons.
1: 43. And some of those buttons had dual functions.
0: Don't start me on dual functions. Okay.
1: (laughs) So it was absolutely maddening. Well, indeed, David, you and I were talking off air a little bit about the Polestar and its steering wheel buttons having dual functions, so the functions change depending on what app you're in. And I think that's uh, not probably world's best practice, that you don't want to have that on your steering wheel. The steering wheel should be quick access to a specific thing, volume up and down, lane control perhaps, voice control, and your cruise control.
0: Totally agree. Alan, always good to talk to you. I appreciate your time greatly. Thank you very much. Thanks, David, as always. And that's Alan Service from gaycarboys.com who has a wonderful perception about driving a car, not just in terms of the old rev head reviewer, but in terms of the modern person adapting with the human machine interface. Overdrive is a radio and podcast program featuring road tests, interviews, and features on motoring and transport. More information is available at drivenmedia.com.au and podcasts on Spotify or iTunes.